good morning. I want to invite our children to Children's Church. If you want to go, the teacher will meet you in the back there. So last week, as, as we were looking into this, I said that, that um, we're really at this pivoting point in Luke's gospel. We're, we're turning a corner and heading toward Jerusalem. And uh, this morning, when we look at the story of Zacchaeus, it's hinted there because he talks about him going through Jericho, and what's on the other side is the road to Jerusalem. But what Luke has done is he wanted to pause here and kind of gather up a lot of what he's been teaching us about what it means to be a disciple. And so this story of Zacchaeus is, is the place where he just kind of sees all these threads come together. Um, and, and it wasn't just me that discovered this. As I was looking at commentaries and, and reading other sermons, other people noticed this, that a lot of the things we've been hearing about uh, from Luke so far just kind of coalesce in this story of Zacchaeus. Um, Zacchaeus is only told in the Gospel of Luke, but that doesn't mean Luke made it up so he could do this. What it means is Luke heard this story about Zacchaeus and recognized many of Jesus' teachings, his, his principles of being a disciple. And so the way Luke tells the story brings those things to the front and shows us this is what, what it means. One of the most important things we're going to learn when we look at the story of Zacchaeus is we're going to see a miracle happen. A camel is going to go through the eye of a needle. It, it's going to happen right in front of us. And so that's, that's the, I think, the most important, the takeaway from this section is Jesus has said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And then right immediately after that, Luke goes, now watch it happen. Watch Jesus do that thing. So that's where we're going we're gonna to wind up today as we look through this section. So let me open us in a word of prayer, and then we'll take a look. Lord, uh, we're grateful that you make camels go through eyes of needles. Um, otherwise, we wouldn't be here. Uh, what is impossible for man, uh, you do on a regular basis. And so, Lord, I pray that um, as we hear your word, that we would again be amazed at the miracle of salvation that the conversion of a sinner into a saint is something that is marvelous every single time it happens. And uh, what a delight. So, Lord, would you please be with us in your word. Help us to see and understand. Fill our hearts with faith to trust you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So what we're going to see here is what does it take to become a disciple of Jesus Christ? And it's three simple steps, three easy things you got to do. First, climb a tree. Second of all, eat with Jesus and then the third one is give everything away. So that's the three simple steps, and you can be a disciple of Christ. Um, but I think we need to probably unpack those a little bit. Uh, probably need to take the story apart a little bit. Climbing a tree has to do with humility. Eating with Jesus has to do with intimacy. And giving everything away has to do with liberty. And that's, that's where the message comes from. So as we go through this section, um, I'll try to point out those linkages that we've seen to other things that Jesus has been teaching us so far. Uh, but we want to kind of focus on, on Zacchaeus first. So this is how it starts. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Um, we've met tax collectors before. Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. Now that means he was in charge of a large group of tax collectors. So maybe he was the chief tax collector of Jericho which would be a major route um, from the north to the south, would be passing through Jericho. He might have been in charge of the district around Jericho as well. He might have been the head tax collector for all of Judea. We're not sure exactly what that means, 
What it means is, uh, remember every time we've run into a tax collector, they've been the bad guys? The, the people look at them and go, they're really icky? This is the chief. This is the head of them. He is the one who's in charge of large amounts of stuff. And to make them hate him even more, he's rich. So you know what that means? He's really good at his job. The, the way the tax collectors would work was they had to get so much tax and turn it over to the Romans. And Zacchaeus takes his portion of that, so he's charging more than the Romans were asking and giving the, the rest of the Romans, and he has made himself rich. He's an extraordinarily rich man. Um, and apparently he's known because Luke gives us his name, Zacchaeus. People knew who this guy was. So as Jesus is coming through Jericho, Zacchaeus hears about this. Uh, he was seeking to see Jesus. Uh, he, remember uh, a couple of weeks ago, the blind man, or was it last week? Um, the blind man heard the commotion of Jesus entering Jericho. And he said, what's going on? And the crowd said, Jesus is coming this way. And so he, he wanted to get Jesus' attention, so he's yelling at him. Well, Zacchaeus is, is in that same position. He's, he hears Jesus is coming, and he wants to see him. Um, there's a problem. The crowd. You remember what the crowd did to the, the blind man? The blind man is yelling, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they turn around and say, shut up. Be quiet. So the crowd comes between the blind man and Jesus. The same problem for Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is short. And if you've been in a children's Sunday school class, you know the song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Yeah. Um, he's short of stature, so he can't see over the crowds to see Jesus coming. He just wants to look at him. He wants to see this miracle worker, this prophet, this mighty prophet in Israel. But the crowd's in the way. That's the problem. And so Zacchaeus um, couldn't see Jesus because he was small in stature, so he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. So here's the first step in discipleship. Go climb a tree. What is happening here is, imagine who Zacchaeus is for a second, right? He's a very rich man in Israel. He's a very powerful man. As a chief tax collector, he could go to the Romans and go, hey, dude, they're not paying up and you'd have some centurions show up at your house and, and rough you up. He's got power and authority and money. Would our governor, if he came to a parade at Lancaster Boulevard and he couldn't see, would our, our, our governor of the great state of California climb a tree to see the parade? That wouldn't be dignified. That wouldn't, that wouldn't be something that a, a man of a power and authority would do. Would our mayor scramble up a tree so he could see the marching band go past? It doesn't happen. Who climbs trees? I, I, I used to <laughs> when I was a child. Children climb trees. That, that's, that's where Zacchaeus has come from. Zacchaeus is this rich, powerful man in Jericho, and he, he can't see over the crowd and so what he does is he scrambles up a tree. He, he puts his dignity, his authority, his sense of, of grandeur, he sets that aside and does what a child would do so that he can see who Jesus is, just so he can get a glimpse of him. He scrambles up a tree. It, it's not a dignified position. He'd have to, remember, men in those days wore long robes. He'd have to wrap the robes up around his waist so he didn't trip on them on the way up the tree and sit there on a branch with his bare legs dangling. It just wasn't a dignified thing to do. He had to become childlike. That was what drew Jesus' attention, because as he's walking, Jesus looks up and sees him in the tree and says, Zacchaeus, come on down. It was Zacchaeus' humility that drew 
Jesus' gaze. It drew Jesus to look to him. And, and this is exactly what we hear about in, in um, Isaiah. Listen to this startling passage from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2. This is God speaking through the prophet. But this is the one to whom I will look. Who does God look at? He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. God promises you. He announces this is the kind of person that draws my eyes. The kind of person who I will look to. The person I want to see is the one who is humble. So it's not surprising at all that Jesus is walking through Jericho and surrounded by a crowd and his eyes are drawn to the one who's humble enough to climb up a tree like a little kid. That's the promise that we're offered here is, is this humility will draw us to him. And this is what Jesus has already told us back in chapter 18. He said, let the children come to me and don't hinder them. Why? For to such belong the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. That's, all that is is being in keeping with what, Jesus, what the Bible teaches us about humility. Humility is what draws God's attention. Um, in the book, Humility, True Greatness by C.J. Mahaney, this is, how he com- this is his comment on that passage from Isaiah. He says, this pa- in this passage, God, in his mercy, is drawing the Israelites' attention away from the prideful assumption of privilege as his chosen people and away from their preoccupation with the trappings of religion. These things do not attract his active, gracious gaze. Humility does. Humility draws the Lord's attention. Do you want more of Jesus? Do you want Jesus to pay more attention to you? I would love that. If Jesus was to walk in the building right now, would you push the person next to you aside and say, Jesus, come and sit here? You'd make room for him. You would be honored if he walked in this room and ignored everybody else and came right up to you and said, Hi, good morning. How are you doing? I've been looking forward to seeing you. It would set you above everybody else. You would feel like you were walking on air because the most important person in the room paid you attention. That's what this promise is. That's what Isaiah is telling you. Do you want God to do that? Do you, got, do you want God to look across all of humanity and look at you and go, You, how are you? I'm so glad to see you. The way to do it is climb a tree. So foster humility. Well, what is humility? Um, This is always a big question is what is humility? Um, Mahaney offers a pretty good definition that I always tweak because he says it's recognizing our position before God in our sinfulness and God's holiness. And for us, common folks like us, that's true, is we have to recognize our position before a holy God. But Jesus is humble. And Jesus is sinless. So the sin component, I think, has to be um, adjusted when we talk about Jesus. Jesus is humble. What he recognizes, here's my position before God. This is who I am called to be before God. And this is why I would speak with thunderous authority, because that's who God has called me to. That's the role I am called to in the position as the incarnate son of God. So he recognizes his position before God. Zacchaeus recognizes his position before God, too. He needs Jesus, and he really wants to see Jesus, and he's going to sacrifice everything to see this Jesus, including his dignity. That, that is true humility. That's a humility that, that is rooted in who God is. Um, people can sometimes be humble in a way that's manipulative. It's called passive-aggressive. 
the kind of, well, well, you know, I, I was going to go do that thing, but because you've asked me, I'll, I'll sacrifice for you. And we're supposed to applaud their humility when actually what they're trying to do is manipulate you. Zacchaeus has got none of that. He's not barking orders, crowd, clear out of the way. He didn't go get some Roman centurions and say, make a path. He, he sets aside all that privilege so that he can climb a tree and see Jesus. So first of all, become childlike. Seek Jesus in a childlike way, a way that you don't worry about embarrassing yourself. You set those things aside. Um, then the next thing that has to happen is we have to eat with Jesus. Um, so once Jesus comes to that place, he, see, he looks up and he see, sees Zacchaeus in the tree. He says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, that's the crowd, they all grumbled, he's gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. Now, I know what you're thinking. I just said you have to eat with Jesus. Where is dinner in this equation? There's no dinner here, right? He just says, I have to go stay with you. Um, there's hints of it. And um, I hate to do the, you know, if you read the Greek thing, <laughs> but there's some, some flavors to some of the Greek words that I want to point out for you. And um, that doesn't mean y'all run out and study Greek. <laughs> it means, let me do the hard part, and I'll just help us all out, okay? So he doesn't say um, that he went to Zacchaeus' house for dinner. He says, I must come and stay with you. Um, it means be there for a long time. He, he's talking about spending the night at Zacchaeus' house. Uh, they said, the, the crowd look and they say, he's a guest of a man who's a sinner. And that, that word for guest in the form it's in can mean lodge, as in check into a hotel overnight. Uh, what's kind of cool is it comes from the word for loosening. The, the word behind it is loosening. You're like, what does that have to do with staying overnight? Well, the thought is it has to do with you'd pull up with your pack animals, your mules, and you would loosen up the load off of them and then spread out some fodder so they could eat, so they would you know, refresh themselves under the burden, and you'd go check into the hotel. That's, that's that word. So it has this flavor of a longer stay than just I'm coming to your house for a couple of minutes. It has an, a flavor of spending the night there. And um, the other word that, that kind of hints at that there is he received him, Zacchaeus received him joyfully. Um, the word, I mean, it's an accurate translation to say received, but the word for received, the root of it came to mean banquet. In other settings, other forms of the word, it has to do with banquet. So uh, another way to say it was that um, Zacchaeus banqueted Jesus joyfully. <laughs> because when you went to a rich person's house for dinner, this was a big deal. The, the family, the, the, the way that meals worked in the New Testament times was it was the evening. It's too dark to do anything outside. So you light candles, you light fires inside the house. The whole family gathers, and they eat from about sunset till about 8 or 9 at night. It was, a, it was a, the big meal of the day. Breakfast would often be just morsels left over from the dinner before. So you get a couple of pieces of bread, go out and get to work. But the dinner was the big meal. And for a rich person like Zacchaeus... It was an event. There would be people scrambling to try to get positions in, in his house so that they could be invited to dinner with Zacchaeus because he would lay on the food. And since it says he received Jesus joyfully, you can imagine what this dinner was. It must have been huge. The rich man is pulling out his best for his most honored guest, the guest he was willing to climb up a tree to get a look at. He must have said, go kill every calf. Don't worry about the fatter one. Get them all. 
Bring it all in. We want to have a major feast here. So when it says that, that he received him, that he was his guest, that Jesus stayed with him, the idea is he spent in the night. And that includes a meal. And that's why the crowd is so upset. He has gone in to be the guest, the dinner guest of a man who's a sinner. Now, haven't we heard this before? Tax collectors and sinners. Jesus is accused of hanging out with those people constantly. I counted three times so far in the Gospel of Luke where people look at it and go, he's hanging around with tax collectors and sinners. Like, that's a bad thing. <laughs> like, how can you do that? What's going on here is this idea of Jesus coming in to Zacchaeus' house and eating with him has to do with intimacy. It has to do with fellowship. It has to do with family. This is not the first century version of Airbnb. Lisa and I stayed at an Airbnb in, in, uh, in uh, Wisconsin. It was a very nice house, really nice people, but we went upstairs and we stayed in our room. And we didn't come down and sit in the living room and watch TV with them. We didn't go raid the refrigerator, although I guess we could have, but um, the Airbnb is you invite somebody into your house and you put them in a spare bedroom and you give them what they need so that they can stay there. You're not inviting them to be part of your family. So what Zacchaeus is doing is not Airbnb with Jesus. He's inviting him into his life. He's inviting him into his family, and that's why the people are grumbling. Jesus, you're a prophet. You're a holy man. You're a good teacher. You're, you're, a, you're a solid teacher, and you are hanging out. You are sharing the life of a sinner. What on earth are you thinking, Jesus? And that's why they get mad at him. They get frustrated with him because he doesn't hate the people they hate. He goes into Zacchaeus because that's who he's supposed to be with. So when Zacchaeus opens his life to Jesus at this point, he doesn't just open the back bedroom. He opens the living room to Jesus. He opens the dining room to Jesus. He says, Jesus, come into all of my life. Be part of all of my life. So after climbing the tree, we then have to have dinner with Jesus. And, and what that means is he fills all of our life. It's not Jesus on a Sunday afternoon, and then the rest of the week, well, he can stay in the back bedroom. It's, Jesus, what you're going to do for me, what's going to happen in my life is going to fill every aspect of it. And so all of my life, I want you to be part of it. It can be easy for us as disciples to welcome Jesus into the spare bedroom sometimes. We're, we're, we're used to him, we're used to his word, we're used to doing the Christian thing, so it kind of can tend to drift towards isolation on a Sunday morning. Instead of thinking throughout the week, how am I to engage Jesus on a regular basis? How, what's, what's my life like in Christ on Tuesday morning, not just Sunday afternoon? Um, when we were at the Gospel Coalition Conference, there was a, one of the uh, side sessions on uh, discipleship on Monday morning. And the idea was, you preach a great sermon, you have a wonderful service on Sunday, what happens on Monday morning with those folks? How do they carry that forward? And I thought it was really a helpful idea. That's what's happening here as Zacchaeus is saying, I, I don't want to just look at Jesus. I don't want to just get you know, maybe a, a, a selfie with him, snap a selfie with Jesus in the background. He's saying, Jesus, I want you in my life. I want you to come into all of my life. And he's honored that Jesus would treat him that way. It is, it is blowing his mind that Jesus would say, Zacchaeus, call him by name. Say, come down out of the tree. I am staying with you. So that true humility yields to a submission to Christ. And, and the way we often think about it, isn't it the other way around? 
Um, I'll ask Jesus into my life. I'll ask Jesus to come into my house. Jesus takes the initiative here. It's the exact same thing he did with the blind man. The blind man's yelling, Jesus, hey, hey, Jesus. And the crowd's going, shut up, be quiet. And Jesus says, go bring that man over here to me. Jesus took the initiative and said, I want him to come here. What do you want from me? What can I do for you? He's doing the same thing with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. I'm eating at your house. He's the one who takes the initiative. Lord, I'm, I'm, I want you to, to come to my house with me. And he's already said that. He didn't have to be invited. He invited himself. So then what's the result of all this? Where does this lead to? Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it for, for, fourfold. Fourfold. Um, what's just happened is, is Zacchaeus has pretty much given everything away. And this is exactly what Jesus told the rich ruler to do, wasn't it? He said, one thing you lack, sell everything you own, give it to the poor, and come follow me. Now, I know everybody's going, got your finger in your Bible going, but it says half. It doesn't say everything. I get to keep half, right? Well, first of all, Zacchaeus says, behold, Lord, I'm giving half my goods to the poor. Nothing to do with what I have been doing for a living for all of my life. I am just going to donate half of everything I have to the poor. It goes to people in need. Then he says, I'm going to restore fourfold whatever I've defrauded anybody. I can almost guarantee you he has defrauded a lot of people. As a tax collector, he would say, well, the Romans want one shekel, I want three. And if you don't give it to me, the uh, big guys in the back with the swords and shields are going to talk to you. That's defrauding people. So what he said is if anybody comes to me and says, look, I, I overpaid my taxes and you didn't give me a refund, here's your refund and here's th four times that amount. What happens to that other half? He gives it as restoration to the, the other people. I don't think he's going to wind up with much left to live on here. So to become a disciple of Christ, you have to climb a tree, you have to eat with Jesus, and then you have to give everything away. How on earth can I do that? That's not fair. I have to feed my family. I'm called a bad guy if I don't provide for and feed my family. How can I give everything away? Well, here's, here's the, the, the crux of the issue here is not um, you can't have a bank account if you're a Christian. You can't have a 401K. You can't have a savings account. That's not what's going on. What's going on is why did Zacchaeus accumulate so much wealth? How he did it, we know. Why did he do it? Why wasn't he giving his, his money to the poor to begin with? Have you ever met somebody who is just abundantly generous and poor? We saw it on short-term mission trips a lot. We would go into this tiny hovel, and these people would dig out everything they had and gave it to us. And we're the rich Americans. How on earth do you do that? Where does that come from? Well, I think where it comes from is that people who are full can give stuff away. If you're full, you can give much more freely. And that means rich people who are full can give away money freely. Poor people who are full can give away freely. Why? Because they're full. They don't have a hole that they feel they need to shuffle everything into. They, they know that they have got an abundance. Didn't Zacchaeus just gain a, a huge amount? He just had Jesus come to his house. And he looks at Jesus, and the overflow of his heart is now, I'm going to be generous. 
I have received so much now, Jesus, I can be generous to others. The fear that held me, the, the, the lack that I had, I had a, my, my dad didn't love me, whatever it was that, that caused him to want to accumulate and draw more into himself, Jesus has now filled that to overflowing, and he's like, I'm giving it all away. I'm good with that. Having Jesus come into your house and eat in your living room with you or your dining room, it, it results in a change. It results in a changed heart. You have now been filled to overflowing, and you can give and give and give freely because you have received so much. And, and the, the order that this happens is extremely important. Zacchaeus climbs the tree, he eats with Jesus, and then he's transformed. Jesus didn't look up in the tree and go, hey, Zacchaeus, give away half your stuff, and then I'll come over to your house. He didn't say, Zacchaeus, clean up your life, and then I'll come and visit you. Maybe I'll be back in a little bit. He looks to Zacchaeus and calls him. And because Zacchaeus has called him, Zacchaeus, or because Jesus has called Zacchaeus, now he's able to change. He's able to give for free. Faith precedes this. It starts in faith. And, and that's extraordinarily important to remember because sometimes when we're looking at people around us, we think, boy, if they would just straighten up their lives, they, they could come to church. You know, I, they really need to come to church so they can get this, this part of their life in order. Or I can't talk to them. They're rough. You know, they're, they're, they're kind of unruly people. I, I, I don't want to associate with them. But the gospel doesn't say, clean up your life, clean up your act, and then come and follow me. What the gospel says is, you're a wreck. You're an utter, absolute wreck. Come out of that tree and follow me now. And your response is, Lord, you have filled me. I can give for free. I can give away my life. So when we have to give everything away like Zacchaeus did, it doesn't mean that you have to go empty your bank account and, and hand it out on the street corner. What it means is, what is it that is standing between you and following Jesus? What is it that is comforting you when you're threatened? What is it that comforts you when you feel like you're empty? When you're exhausted, when you're, when you're picked on, or when somebody criticizes you or something, where do you go for comfort there? Whatever that is, give it away. That was what Jesus told the rich ruler, and he couldn't do it. He couldn't let go because it identified him. It, it, it built walls around him. It kept him, kept him secure and safe. And so when Jesus said, tear down the walls, give it away, and then come follow me, he wasn't saying, you're going to lose. This is, a, this is a loss equation. What he was saying is, give away that stuff and come and gain everything. In Zacchaeus, we see that happen. So when we talk to people, when we share Christ with people, we don't have to say, well, you know, you got to stop swearing or I can't talk to you. We, we don't have to say, you know, if you get off the drugs, then, you know, I can come and share the gospel with you. Um, and we're too sophisticated to ever say that. <laughs> we just act like that. We can come to people and say, look, I have, the, I have the answer for you. I've met the answer. He called me out of a tree. And, and he can be the answer for you, too. I don't have to get your life all sorted out. I know who's going to do it, and he's going to do it much better than I will. So that's what I mean by give everything away. It's a beautiful idea. And, and have you, you remember from Revelation chapter 3, um, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
And anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Right? Revelation 3. Who's that written to? Is that written to the nations? It's written to the church of Thessalonica. It's written to believers. He's offering you, if you'll open the door, I'll come in and eat with you. I can help you change your life. I can help you have the confidence to go out and, and watch other people's lives be changed. And we see that in this, this tiny tax collector, this tiny large tax collector, I guess, because he's short in stature but big in authority. So he, had to, he was called to just give everything away because of faith. Faith called him to that. It wasn't the rules in order to be saved. And, and we know from Hebrews 11, without faith, it's impossible to please God. It has to start in faith. We can't start with the rules. We have to start with faith. And so how does, how does the story end? Well, when Jesus speaks, that's the important part, right? That, that's the, the, the hermeneutical clue that this is the important part. Jesus is now speaking. He says, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. Ladies and gentlemen, a camel just walked right through the eye of a needle because it's impossible for man to do. Jesus did it. He's just announced to us it can't happen, and the, the disciples are blown away, and now Jesus just comes and says, salvation has come to this house. A rich man has now been welcomed into the kingdom of God. Why? Because today he is a son of Abraham. Um, from the New Testament on, the teaching about the, being a son of Abraham is it's not a matter of gene pool. It's not a matter of family tree. Who are the sons of Abraham? Those who believe. It's the end of Galatians 3 tells us that. If you want to be an heir of Abraham, you have to be in Christ. How do you get in Christ? By faith. And that's, that's how Jesus diagnoses this. Today, salvation has come to this house. This man has now been saved. I've seen his humility. I've seen him invite me into his whole life. And then I've seen the fruit of that, his generosity, his willing to let go. Salvation has come to this man. And why is that? Because the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come in the flesh? To seek and to save the lost. To find people who don't know God and draw them to him. That's why he told us, now go make disciples. Make people who aren't disciples into disciples. Draw them in. I came to seek and save the lost. If you're my disciple, if you follow me, Jesus says... You will be engaged in the same mission, to seek and save the lost. That's who I'm after. What about the crowd? The crowd, oh, well, at least they're not a sinner like Zacchaeus. Jesus said, I didn't come to save the righteous. If you think you've got your life worked out, if you say, well, I've checked all the boxes, I've got everything set, I'm a pretty decent person, Jesus didn't come for you. You've already got it figured out. When you get to heaven, when you get to the gates of heaven, you'll stand there on your own and say, well, I'm a pretty good person. And that's when the, the book comes out. Really? Here's all the deeds you've done. Tell me how good you are. Jesus didn't come to save those who believe they're righteous. He came to seek and save those who were lost. Zacchaeus knew he was lost. He climbed a tree so he could see Jesus because he knew he was lost. When Jesus called him down, he received him with joy because he saw salvation walking into his house. And that's why he responds with overflowing generosity. 
I have been given so much, Jesus. I'm going to give more. I wonder what his career looked like after that. I wonder what the tax burden in that part of Israel looked like after Zacchaeus' conversion. Um, I, I just, it, it, I wish we had more. Luke, give us more information, please. <laughs> How did he behave? This would be a great, Luke, you blew it, buddy. This would be a great place to have a, a good discussion on the doctrine of vocation. How do I be a tax collector to the glory of God? Boy, I missed it, buddy. But Luke is heading in a direction. What we're going to hear next week is he tells them a parable because he was near Jerusalem. Jerusalem will start coming up over and over again after this. So Luke is, is doing this not to continue to teach us, but to draw that discipleship portion to a close so that we can go on and see how it is that Jesus saves us. So next week we'll get a parable that prepares us, and then the week after that is, holy, is uh, um, the triumphal entry. Jesus rides into Jerusalem. So you see where, where we're going here? Now G, Luke has drawn this to a close, and he's drawn us into how is it then that Zacchaeus could be saved? What about all the, the evil he had done? Giving money back fourfold doesn't atone. So how, does, how do we find out how Zacchaeus is saved? How do we find out how we're saved? Well, we're heading there. And so this is that, that pivotal moment. We'll get a parable, and then the triumphal entry will be in Jerusalem. So just to remind us again, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you want to grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ, climb a tree. Have dinner with Jesus and give everything away. Have humility, intimacy, and generosity. And those come, where does it start? It starts with faith. It starts by trusting, Jesus, you're enough. Putting my hope in you. And then faith leads to the truth of who Jesus is and the love that overflows from that. So now Zacchaeus is doing what the rich man couldn't. The rich man couldn't love his neighbor as himself. Zacchaeus just did. I'm giving it all away, Lord. That's our hope. That's our help. Is Jesus is calling us into this. So let's pray. Lord, how many Zacchaeuses are there in this city? How many are in this room? Lord, I pray that, that we would join you in your mission as a church and as individuals to seek and save the lost. Lord, spare us from being the crowd who, who looks on at the sinners around us with disdain. And in store, instead, Lord, I pray like Zacchaeus, you would fill us so much that generosity flows out of us. Lord, help us to give our lives away because we can't lose. We've tapped into an, an eternal fountain that will always fill us to overflowing. Lord, lead your church, we pray. Lead us in your mission. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all I've commanded. Lord, help us to engage. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.